Parshas Vayelech. In this week's Parsha, Hashem warns the Am Yisroel about the great danger facing them as they enter into Eretz Canaan, a peril that could easily lead to the destruction of the nation. There were many dangers they would now be facing. The seven nations were preparing to rise up and defend their homes and many battles would have to be waged. But that wasn't the danger that Hashem chose to warn His children about. There was something much more perilous about settling in Eretz Yisrael, and that's what we'll be studying now. In Tehillim, at the end of Kapitel 105, David HaMelech states, Vayiten lahem arzot goyim. Hashem gave to the Am Yisrael the lands of the nations, va'amal le'umim yirashu, and they inherited the labor of the people. For hundreds of years, the land of Canaan was being prepared for the Am Yisrael by the seven nations, and they were doing an excellent job. They were mishpochas ha'adoma, in the most literal sense of the word. They were land nations, people who specialized in soil, agriculture, gardens, and fruit trees, and they were putting in their best efforts to beautify the land. You know, the Gemara says that the Chivi, that's one of the seven nations, had the ability to know what to plant in every plot of land. Chivi is from the word snake. In Aramaic, Chivia is a snake. Like it says, The snake's food is the earth. The Chivi were the snake people. They used to taste the earth to see what kind of things to plant there. They would pick up a little bit of dirt and lick it. And just by the taste on their tongues, they would know what would best grow in that dirt. Some earth has more alkaline, while other earths have more high, would have higher levels of acid. And it's those ingredients that determine what crops best grow in that earth. Olives, for example, won't grow well in soil with high levels of alkalinity. They require moderate levels of acid. Wheat, on the other hand, requires more, more loamy soil. The chivi would taste the earth and make the best use out of every piece of land. And so in Canaan were found the biggest agricultural experts that ever lived. And because they put everything they had into beautifying the land, the whole land became like one big garden. They terraced every hill, every mountainside in Edith's soil. There wasn't a span of earth that was uncultivated, and the very best produce grew there. It was a remarkable thing what they made from that land. If we could take a look at the land as it was when the Bnei Yisrael entered, we would have gasped in amazement at the remarkable fertility of that land. And what Hashem tells us in Parshas Vayelech is that it was this abundance, this beautiful and fertile land, that would be the real danger that awaited them in the land. Ki avienu el ha'adama asher nishbati lavotav zavat chalavu dvash. When I bring the nation to the land that I swore to their forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey, v'achal v'savav adeshe v'adashen, ufana et elokim acherim v'avadum, you will eat and be satiated and grow fat, and you will turn to the gods of others and serve them, and you will anger me and annul my covenant. Dvarim. The biggest sakana wasn't the seven nations defending their homes and fields that Hashem took care of. You know what the danger was? It was the homes and the fields themselves. 
the beautiful homes and the fertile fields posed a bigger danger than the fight to conquer them. Streams of milk and honey, large and beautiful fruit, and the batim meleim kol tuv, homes filled with all good things. Those were, the, those were the seeds that could sprout into rebellion against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Having too much, that was the danger of Eretz Yisroel. Ve'achalta v'savata, you will eat and be satiated. And that, and what, and what are the next words? Watch out, lest your minds will be led astray. What, when there's plenty to eat, that's when people have to watch out. Now that's hard to understand because we do it every day. And the truth is that we don't really understand what, it, what is so bad about eating bread to fill our stomachs. You will eat and be satiated and you will turn to other gods. Is it so terrible? If someone will eat to his heart's content, even if he burps when he gets up from that table, it's not such a nice thing, but a danger. What's to beware of? That's what we think. But Hashem says otherwise. You're eating my food now and you're getting full. So watch out. You're treading on thin ice. In your study, if you study history, you'll see that it happened that way again and again. Prosperity always brings with it selfishness, arrogance, and pride. We see it in the rise and fall of every society in history. It's happened to one nation after another. First, they lived in poverty. They were a plain, they were a plain agricultural people. Every nation began like that. And gradually they began to build themselves up to big, big, to build cities, an urban civilization with luxuries. Some even began conquering other countries and bringing in the wealth of others into their own land. And, and always the more wealthy they became, the more corrupt and decayed they became. If you look through the histories of ancient nations, it was always after they reached the peak of their prosperity that they began to decay. And then came the blow, and Hashem buried them, literally. You know, if you would take a trip to Central America, so you'll take a machete and a guide, and you'll begin to chop your way through the thick rainforest. It looks like humans never set foot there before. But you have to know that underfoot, ancient cities that were once teeming with a big population are buried there. These seemingly primitive forests actually grew over what was once Roads and cities, they were wealthy. It's remarkable how affluent they once were. And now, the only way to see them is by means of a bulldozer. They slowly grew fat with luxuries, and soon after they went lost and were buried forever. Babel once had the biggest city, the most advanced city in the world. The city of Babylon is called one of the seven wonders of the world by the ancient writers. And today you won't see it unless you have a spade. You have to dig into the dirt to see the great palaces. What happened? They too became wealthy and corrupt. And they went lost. It's like that everywhere. Where is ancient Greece now? Where is ancient Rome? Ancient Egypt? It's all gone. They grew fat and arrogant and then went lost. And it's happening to the Western countries today. It's going, it's, it's, it's going to happen in the course of time to Russia. It'll happen to China too. Right now, they're on the way up. But it'll happen to China too sooner or later. They're trying hard to get as spoiled as America. It's a race 
to see who can self-destruct first. Now, once upon a time, America was also on the rise. But today, they're headed quickly down the path that every society in history has taken. Everyone sees that America is disintegrating as the, as the affluence and materialism permeates society. Things that were never possible, things that were never hard of, were never heard of before are taking place today. All societal norms are being broken down. The whole country is going rotten. Crime, arias, youth suicide. There's a tremendous drug population among youth. Murder is at an all-time high. Erica, America is going Meshuggah. Now we have to study that because it's no accident. It's important that we understand the reason for all this. Why is there so much unrest and revolt against normal behavior? What's the cause for this breakdown in society? We have to realize that the great problem of Western countries today is that there is too much to eat. Never before was there so much food, so many luxuries and conveniences like we have today. And that's the cause of all this trouble, the reason for the corruption of society. Be careful. Affluence, that's the great Sakana. All of the Western countries are flowing with milk and honey, and it's because of this abundance that people are becoming wild with riches. Don't pay attention to the liberals who tell you it's because there are people, minorities, who don't have equal opportunities, that they have too little to eat, and therefore they are driven to do extreme acts. Baloney. Because 50 years ago, there were a lot of people who didn't have much to eat. People went to sleep hungry, and there was much less crime, much less wickedness and corruption than today. And the liberal baloney is just a smokescreen, a smoke barrage to cover up the truth. The fact is that to find a hungry man today, you'd have to take a candle and make bidikat chametz bechorim ubisudakim. Where is there anybody who doesn't have enough to eat? Of course, there are still some poor people. They don't have cars. Some people don't have money to go on a summer vacation. Or of course, there's, and of course, there's lots of resentment because of that. They're very angry at the government for not giving them more. They want to rebel and make trouble. But it has nothing to do with needs. It's only because they have too much to eat. And that's why they're fighting for more. In every, if everybody had to work long days for a living just to get by, the homes would be full of happy people. A person would come home at night and his wife would put some bread and soup on the table and he would be so happy and grateful. He'd eat and go to sleep weary from a heavy day's work and the next day he'd get up early in the morning and get back to work again. Nobody would think about mischief, about rebelling and fighting for more. They'd be satisfied that they're able to fill their bellies with the minimum to keep them going. And that's how it was in the good old days. Their parents came over from Europe and worked in sweatshops, and they were happy that they were able to make ends meet. If they were able to eat and pay their rent, it was the greatest simcha. And that's why they weren't looking for ways and means of ruining themselves. But their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren are busy looking for kicks. And what that means is that they're kicking themselves off the precipice into the abyss of destruction. But we're not going to point fingers at America. America has been very good to us, and we're makir toiva for that. Baruch Hashem, America has allowed us to make our own schools for our children, yeshivas and beis yankavs. 
We have been treated very well in America. Baruch Hashem. We've been given all kinds of freedom and opportunities to take advantage of the affluence that Western society has to, has to offer. Nowadays, Baruch Hashem, we have everything. But our Parsha is telling us that having everything is a sakana gadoila, a terrible danger. And not just for the Rishayim, the assimilationists, it's a sakana gadoila for all the from Jews. We have to know that the decay we see around us, the rot that materialism causes, has entered into the Orthodox camp too. The avir, the atmosphere of America, is luxuries and good times. The pursuit of happiness, that's what it's all about. It's beferish in the Declaration of Independence. And it's seeping into our lives. When you walk on the streets of America and breathe the air, you're breathing the pursuit of happiness, the desire for affluence into yourself. And what that means is that the pursuit of perfection is being ignored. No matter how from you are, it doesn't matter how long your beard is, how long of a coat you wear, you're changing. Even without thinking about it, all day long you are breathing in the air of achal v'dashin, of eating and growing fat. That's why people today are going wild. From Jews are going wild from luxuries. Even the best, the most orthodox, have to know that their feet are walking on slippery ground just because they're having it too good. Now we're going to study it a little bit more to understand actually how deep, how profound is this danger. Don't think it's a small thing. A lion, if you give him a big box of hay, he doesn't roar when he eats the hay. But if you give him a big box of meat, the lion becomes wild with happiness and he roars. He's dangerous then. Brachas. It's much more than we think. When people have too much to eat, when they have everything they need, they become arrogant. Now you might think it's an exaggeration, but it's not so. It's serious. Very serious. That's what the Navi Cheskel says. This was the sin of Sodom, your sister. The arrogance of being satiated with bread. The arrogance of having enough bread. Now those are the words of Yechezkel Navi. Hashem is speaking, and we have to listen to that. I read a story recently. People send me these things to read. A man was married to an excellent young wife. She was a good cook too, but he grew tired of her. He said, I have nothing against you, but I'm just tired of you. That's how the story goes. And he threw her away. He divorced her. That's one of the most wicked stories you can imagine. There was nothing immoral there. Just plain wickedness. The wickedness of a man who had just too much in this world. I don't like it. I want more. I want something else. I, I, I. It's all about I. A man like that should come home to a prison. People like that worked on the rock pile all day long. That man should have to work on the rocks like the good old days in America. Then he'd enjoy life. At night, he comes home to his prison cell and appreciates his hard mattress where he can rest his aching bones. A man like that doesn't feel so arrogant anymore. But this man has everything, even a beautiful bride, and he doesn't enjoy it anymore. He has too much, and that's why he acts with such wickedness. When people are poor, you should know that they are much better in character. And Anav is certainly more able to be Makabel Shlemus. And therefore it's a tragedy today that we have too much abundance. 
we're suffering from it. We're much further away from Shlemus just because of this abundance. And if we're not careful, then, the, then sooner or later, indulgence leads to destruction. Satiation causes arrogance and there's no two ways about it. If you see someone walking down the street and he's doing whatever he wants, you have to know that he's arrogant because he's not hungry. The fact that he's eaten so much, he's surfeited with food and nasherai. So now he's a gavra already. That's what's going on in his mind. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone now. And no matter how much he'll deny it, he's thinking that he doesn't need Hashem either. Even Yeshurun, the righteous nation, if they have good things to eat, they start kicking. That's what it says in Parshas Hazinu. Yeshurun grew fat and began kicking like the lion. If you feed it too much, it starts to kick. That's what, good, that's what good times do to a person. All forms of prosperity bring along with it the danger of selfishness and arrogance. When a person is settled and satiated, it's that much easier to live a life of Olam Haze. You forget about your true purpose in life. There's no reason to think about Olam Haba when life is so good. Who needs it? He thinks deep into the recesses of his heart. I'm good on my own. I'm happy, and I don't need you, Hashem. That's how it is. The gifts of Hashem can cause one to forget HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Good times, affluence, and too much to eat are a very slippery slope. And it's a downward slope that leads to plain wickedness. You'll have to excuse me. People who do these things will have to excuse me for saying this, but I must. I'm not blaming people right now. But I'm pointing out that the attitude of let's eat and be merry has seeped into our homes. Today a boy has to have a new bike and maybe a radio too. All kinds of expensive toys he must have. Baruch Hashem, when I was a boy, I never had a bike. I was such a poor boy that when I wanted to buy a little hammer, it cost 25 cents in those days. I couldn't afford it. It took me a long time, but finally I saved up 25 cents and bought that hammer. That was a big thing for me. We didn't have any toys. And that was the best thing for me. But today, it's good food and vacations and concerts. It's candies and ice cream wherever you go. And where are the, chil- where are the children learning it from? From their parents. From the from Jews around them. He sees that his father is not satisfied with a piece of bread. No, he wants bagels. And not just a bagel. Cream cheese and lox too. And then a piece of chocolate cake with cream inside. And expensive homes, expensive installations in the house, special tiles and carpets, expensive trips, traveling, luxurious food, all types of glad kosher foods and restaurants. Now some people don't like what I'm saying. I get letters from people. Why are you making such a big deal about luxuries? There's no chet here. The food on the plane is glad kosher. The hotels have minyanim three times a day and shurim too. And even the entertainment today is good kosher entertainment. Kosher concerts and glad kosher Chinese restaurants. What's the chait? And that's because most people don't understand what the word chait really means. You remember at the beginning of the history of the world when HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke to Cain? It was the beginning of time and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was teaching us an important lesson. At the entrance, as soon as you come into the world, Chatas is crouching in ambush for you. You come into this world and the Yetzir Hara is already working on you. 
Now there's a lot to say about that. But we'll put that on the side for now and we'll talk about the name that Hashem chose for the Yetzir Hara. You know, there are many names for the Yetzir Hara. If you look in the Gemara and Sukkah, you'll find that he has seven different names. There's Ra and Sifoni and Ariel. Other names too. But in the Chumash, he's given the name Chatas. And if that's Hashem's name for the Yetzir Hara, we should understand what it means. Now pay good attention because you're going to hear a Chiddush now. It's not what we think. That Chatas means to go and to do a sin. You go and look where you shouldn't have looked. And now you've done a Chet. No, it's a sin. It's wrong. But when we call that a Chet, it's only because we're borrowing the language. What Chatas really means is to miss out, to not utilize the opportunity of life to become something. How do I know that? You remember when David the Melech was on his deathbed. So Bathsheba came to him and said, Look, you told me that you decided that Shlomo would be your, your successor. And he would be the next king. But now, Adoniyahu ben Chagis, one of your other sons, is proclaiming himself the future king. He's gathering a great assembly of people and he's announcing himself king. And what did Bathsheba say? She said, if you don't do anything about it, then Shlomo and I will be the Chatoim. What does Chatoim mean? Not sinners. What does sinners have to do with it? Chatoim means the losers. Shlomo and I will be the ones who miss out if you don't deal with it now. That's what Chet means, to miss out. You know, it states by the, by the Milchemes Begiva about the Bnei Binyamin that they had expert archers who knew how to aim with their slingshots. They could aim at their target, which was a hairbreadth, and they wouldn't miss. They wouldn't be choite, means they wouldn't miss. They were, they were able to shoot stones with their slingshots and hit a target with great precision. Velo yachti. They wouldn't miss. So yachati means to miss. And that's what a chet really is. To miss out. Of course, nobody should do any averis. Absolutely not. But that, that's not the real failure. The real tragedy of life. To make your way through this world and not step on booby traps. Very good. Very good. But that's not the great achievement of life. To not utilize the opportunities that life provides for greatness. That's the real chet. To miss out on achieving perfection of character and awareness of Hashem. And das Hashem. That's the real tragedy. If you're not aiming for achieving shlemus while you're here, then you're missing out. So you'll tell me, well, we're just normal people. Okay, so maybe we're not tzaddikim, but we're not sinners. We're not we're not Michalali Shabbos. We eat only kosher. Our children all go to yeshiva. We're keeping everything. Everything. We're orthodox. Ultra-orthodox. And it's true. Baruch Hashem. The Fruma are succeeding today. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. The Fruma are medakdik b'mitzvahs. And it's beautiful. Yafe at rayati. You are beautiful, my bride. Shirashirim. Hashem says to his people, it's remarkable how beautiful we are in the eyes of Hashem. But it's not enough. Being from keeping everything is just the foundation, 
The basics. It's like wearing trousers when you go out in the street. Does wearing pants in the street make you a success? No. It makes you a mensch. It means that you're normal. But you won't glorify yourself with that. You won't consider yourself a success because of that. And avoiding sin is like wearing clothes. It's very important, but it's not enough to make you a success. Sins are terrible, but if a person does a sin, he can atone for that. He has Yom Kippur for that. And even if you don't do Teshuvah in this world, so in Gehenna, you have the opportunity for atonement. You go to the laundry place where they have good machines to remove stains and you get everything clean. It might take some time and it's not easy. There's hot water and strong cleansers and you have to agitate and shake. But sof kol sof, you'll get cleaned. That's what Gehenna is. But it won't give you any mitzvahs. Gehenim will wash off the stains of Averis that you picked up in this world, but it will not give you any reason to go to Gan Eden. To live in the world to come, you must have accomplishment. And that's the big test, the most important test in this world. Are you making something from yourself? If a person fails to accomplish, for that, he can never atone. It's a twisted thing that can never be straightened. Koheles. Not accomplishing, that's an opportunity that goes lost forever. And that's why, of all the names of the Yetzir Hara, Hashem chose the name Chatas, because the biggest sin of all is to be a choyte, to miss out on your purpose in life. Life means opportunities. People could have spent their free time, their evenings going to Shurim, listening to Musr, learning Halachas, gaining more Das, more Torah, and more Yiras Shamaim. Thinking about our Kaddosh Baruch Hu takes time. It takes work. If a person would spend time learning even the simple things, even to learn Chumash properly, to learn Mishnayis properly, a little bit of the Gemara, he'd become a success. You could have spent the time thinking, thinking about all of the great principles of life, creating for yourself a Torah mind. That's what life is for. Women too. Don't think women don't have what to do. There are many things women can do. It's remarkable today how many good Sepharim women can read. Important lessons in Tanakh, in history, in Yer Shamayim. The Gra told his daughters to learn Musa's farm. Absolutely, it's very important. A girl, a woman can be very, become very great in acquiring a Torah mentality, a Torah mind, no less than a man. And that's one of the mistakes people make when they go into Yom Kippur. Because what is it really that we should go into Yom Kippur crying about? That we should be most concerned about? It's not like what people think. That we do certain sins, maybe we say a sharp word to our wives, or we forget Yalevi'avo and Rosh Chodesh. Of course, that's also wrong. And we have to ask Hashem to forgive us for that. Every second is a precious opportunity to do Teshuvah for what you did wrong. But that's not the great Chet of life. It's not what should concern you most. Because no matter how many Yom Kippurs you spend in the base Knesset, even if you stand on your feet all day and cry genuine tears, nothing will help you bring back what you could have accomplished. And because, of, and because accomplishing, making something of yourself, is the real purpose of life, that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu made this world a world of tests. So that the greatest achievement shouldn't come easy. Hashem makes the, this great test of utilizing life for achieving even more difficult by giving us a society of achal v'sava v'dashen.
eating to satisfaction and growing fat with pleasure. That's why he invents more and more things, automobiles for traveling on Sundays, fishing rods for Mondays, bowling bowling alleys for Tuesdays, and restaurants for the rest of the week. And even on Shabbos, people loaf around. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is testing you with comfortable couches and kosher magazines and orthodox newspapers that are offering you all the good things of this world. Everything is on sale. It's nothing at all. It's just a test, a way of tempting you to be a choyte, to waste your life. When you see a place that sells sailboats, it's attractive, and you think of sailing the river on Sunday morning. Ah, to be able to afford a sailboat like that, you're thinking, it's a test. Nothing wrong. There's no sin in going fishing. But it's a chet. It's a, way, it's, a, it's a way of wasting our life. It's a complete ruination. You have one day in the week besides Shabbos when you, when you can accomplish something. And you're sitting in a sailboat fishing your life away. You want exercise? Take a walk for an hour and then utilize the rest of your day. There's so much to do. Today, everyone wants to be entertained. You know, the word entertainment has no equal in Lashon HaKadosh. Today, they call it Bidur, a new modern word. But, it, but in the language of Torah, there's no word for entertainment because Jews didn't even think of entertainment. Jews had Simcha, yes, but not entertainment. Entertainment means something that tickles your nerves. It excites you. No Jew doesn't have entertainment. For a Jew, when he has spare time, he knows what to do. There are from schools who take their girls out on trips to climb mountains. You have to teach girls how to climb mountains. Girls need to climb mountains like you need a hole in your shoe. It's only because we have so much that we forget about Hashem. We forget about our purpose in Oilam Hazeh. People are wasting their spare time visiting others, going to shows and concerts, playing ball and busy with their hobbies, talking to relatives, talking on the telephone, shopping and shopping and shopping and more shopping. People are constantly getting in their cars, traveling back and forth, back and forth, even to go to editor's soil is a waste. What are you going there for? Who needs you there? Nobody. Stay here and send the money that, that it costs. They could use your money over there in the yeshivas for the poor Talmidei Chachamim. Here's a very from family. I love that family. I admire them very much. They have a girl about 17 years old and she made a visit to Eretz Yisroel. A 17-year-old girl should spend so much money on a trip to Eretz Yisroel. Traveling is very expensive. It's a luxury. Think of all the money you could have given for tzedakah or maybe for even a shidduch. Taking good money and spending it for a trip to Eretz Yisroel. Stay here and instead of traveling, utilize the time for achievement, for developing a relationship with Hashem. In order to make something out of yourself, You need time. You need a mind. You need to be free to work on thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thinking about all the great Torah principles we all, we talk about in this place. And if you're too busy with the unnecessary luxuries of this world, so you become arrogant with satiation, and it's impossible to succeed, you might be from, very from, even very, very from, but a success you won't be. The comforts and luxuries we have easily distract us from our true purpose in this world. The achievement of Yiras Shamaim, of Amuna, of believing in Hashem and becoming aware of Him, the achievement of always being grateful to Him is a very, very necessary function. And you can't dodge it. 
The time will come when our days will be over and we're going to come before the great tribunal and they'll ask us, did you engage in, in, the stu- in this study? Did you learn about me? Did you use your gift of free will when you had before you such a wonderful world of lessons? Lessons in the sky, lessons on the earth, and lessons in the Torah? Did you utilize them? So you'll say, I was busy driving my family around in the car. For my vacation, I was in the country, and I did this and I did that. I was traveling, and I was on the phone, and I had no time. I was so busy shopping for a new suit, a new outfit for Yom Tov. I didn't have the time to utilize life properly. He wasted his time in this world with all of the luxuries that were provided to him, and he leaves this world an empty fellow. Shlomo HaMelech teaches us in Mishle. Who is it? That becomes an empty person. The one who loves Simcha. It means like this. Here's a man who has a store, a business. But he's always going out to restaurants to eat lunch. He puts up a sign. We'll be back in 15 minutes. So customers come. And the place is closed. An hour later they come back and the place is still closed. He's sitting in a pizza store reading a newspaper. So what happens? Sooner or later his customers give up on him. Instead, they'll go to the Chinese shoe repair man who eats lunch in his store. And now, the man's business goes to ruin because of that. The Chinese man doesn't need pizza stores. He packs a sandwich and he eats lunch behind the counter. You have to be a worker, a hustler to make a living. And if you're a person who looks for good times, you won't succeed. Why is the person losing out? Ohev Simcha, because he's looking for good times. Now all this is true, and there's no question that Shlomo HaMelech meant this too. But it's also a mushal for what we're talking about now. Because the same is also if a person is looking for good times in this world, he's not going to succeed in Avodah Hashem. He'll remain an Ish Machsur, an empty, a man, empty of Torah accomplishments. It's a tragedy. Don't think it's a small thing. To be Chayte, who doesn't accomplish in life? is a tremendous bizayim. Even if you're not ashamed in this world, it's a guarantee that you'll be ashamed in the next world. Now, you can't succeed at overcoming this test of prosperity by just sitting back and ignoring the problem. You have to fight it. There was a Talmud Chochem I knew from Slobodka, and when he arrived in America, he put his daughter into a Sadmer school, a base Rochel school. I remarked to him, you're Litvish. You're putting your daughter into a Hasidish school? And he told me something that I remember till this day. He said, in this wicked country, a person has to go to extremes. To travel down the middle of the road nowadays is no longer safe. One must be an extremist to survive. And therefore, I will tell you my private opinion. I don't say to you, I don't say that you have to agree with me. But I don't have to agree with you either. Anything that you could do without, it's a mitzvah to accustom yourself to not have it. It's a mitzvah to train yourself to do without all the excessive things, traveling in restaurants and cars and telephones, magazines and newspapers and beautiful homes, chandeliers and carpets, dining room tables and couches, and all types of foods. If you don't need it, then make do without it. Your children too. I don't think that children should become accustomed to unnecessary and superfluous things. Don't change, don't train your children to be accustomed to going places that cost money. They don't need it and you're ruining them in the process. Today, today they take out girls to the woods, 
Remember that girl who was lost in the woods some years ago? Girls have no business in the woods. Girls in the woods? What kind of mashugas is that? You can, t- you can train them to take walks. They can take walks and get fresh air. They could play a little in the street with a ball and get some exercise. But don't take them to concerts and things like that. I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe in taking children to travel at all. Don't get them accustomed to luxuries. A child should be taught to how, should be taught how to live a frugal life and to desire only what is necessary. Teach your children to save their money. They'll need it someday. A bank account is better than traveling. A savings account in a bank. Today I see that people are feeding children all kinds of ideas, all kinds of wrong ideas. No. I disapprove of that. They're training their children to be failures in life. Now, the child might seem to you a success. He has everything he needs. He's satisfied. But Hashem says, watch out. It's a danger. As much as possible, run away from the luxuries of America. However, it's important to recognize that no matter how much we buck the trend, no matter how much we turn our backs to the v'ochel v'sava v'dashen, of Western society today, we're still living like kings. That's what we are, kings. We have everything. We have things today that our great-grandparents never even dreamt of. I remember when I was in Europe, if you wanted a bath, there was no bathtub in the house. You went to the sweat bath. You had to go to a certain place and you paid something, but even that wasn't a bathtub. Bathtubs were for kings. Queen Elizabeth had a bathtub. Once a year, they gave her a bath. It was a big job, a big ceremony. They had to heat up water in buckets and pour it into the queen's bathtub. But other people had to stand and pour water from the buckets of hot water over their heads. That's how you took a bath in those days. But today, the poorest people have bathtubs in their homes. I remember when I was in Europe over 60 years ago, a man told me this was in a small town in Europe. He said that when he was a boy, he used to ask his mother for another piece of bread. No, she said, we can't afford to give you a second piece of bread. He told me that. Two pieces of bread she couldn't give. That's how poor the people were. When they praised the richest man of that place, how did they glorify his wealth? It's amazing how much challah in in milk he eats. On weekdays, he dips challah in milk. That was the guzma of wealth in those days. He had so much challah that he had extra to dip in milk. In the old days, people didn't, didn't have anything close to what we live with. They simply didn't have. But today it's different. I always tell you that when I come back to America from Slobodka, when I came back from America, when I came back to America from Slobodka, that was the first time I saw people who were fat. Dashen. They were corpulent men and women waddling down the street who were poor. Which means that when you sit down at your supper table and you have as much bread as you wish, you should understand that you're a high roller and every high roller is standing on the precipice of arrogance and forgetting Hashem. And therefore the only way we can succeed and by, succeed is by humbling ourselves before Hashem. You have more than enough on your table, much more than you need. You're not going to eat all that bread. Your wife says to you, Chaim, don't eat so many pieces of bread. It's not good for you. Did you weigh yourself recently? So what did you have to do? Even if you'll listen to your wife 
and you'll eat only half of a thin slice, just, in, just enough to make birkas hamazon afterwards. But you should make sure to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the bread in the basket. Don't be skimpy about it. You have to thank Him for every one of the different dishes served. And the condiments too. Thank you Hashem for the mayonnaise. And don't stop there. Thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the good food in the refrigerator. Thank Him for the refrigerator too. If you have a refrigerator in your home, you're already fat with good things. For all the trappings of affluence, you must thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have to look at your table, your refrigerator, your pantry, your cabinets, and give heartfelt thanks. Thank you Hashem for this and for that. We have to learn to humble ourselves before Hashem because our refrigerators are full of food just because of the prosperity that He is giving us. And once a person recognizes that everything he has is from Hashem, he begins using the luxuries and comforts of life to remember the one who gave him them, who gave them to him, and he increases his service to him. And therefore, we can understand what the Gemara in Barachas says. It says that... When you begin Shemona Esrei, you have to bend your knees. And then you bend your body over. Why do you bend over when you say Baruch? What's it about? A formality? The word Brocha is derived from the word Berech, the knee. Baruch means we bend the knee to you. Some people think that Baruch means to bless. Like Vivarech HaGemolim. And Eliezer blessed the camels. No! He made the camels kneel. That's what it means. Baruch means, I bend my knees to you, Hashem. We translate it as we bless you. But that's only a secondary meaning. Originally it means, you are the one to whom our knees are bent in humility. I am so grateful, but I can't pay it back. I am indebted to you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, I know that you'll hear people telling you all types of different things. But this is the real meaning. This is the real perish without any pshetlach. So baruch means, I bend my knees to you, Hashem. Only that when somebody gives you gifts, so what do you do? You bless him. You wish him well. So we translate baruch as we bless Hashem. But that's not the original meaning. Now the Gemara goes on and says that a Kohen Gadol, he bends over at the beginning and, and the end of every bracha of the Shemona Esrei. Why is that? So you'll say, when he's a more pious man, not true. That's not the reason why the Kohen bows and bows. The Kohen, unlike us, bends over by every bracha because he has more to thank for. The more you have, the more you have to be bent over before Hashem. Instead of being arrogant like fools, that's us. The more we eat, the more we're conceited. The more we're arrogant and the more we're, re- we're rebellious. Instead of that, it should be the more we get, the more humble we become. The more you have, the more you have to feel that you're low and humbled before Hashem. Because you cannot even begin to pay back for what He is giving you. Now the Gemara says there that when a king starts Shemona Esrei, he bends over and he does not straighten up even once. He bends over at the first word, Baruch, and he doesn't straighten up until he finishes davening. A king has so much to thank for that he's weighed down. He can't stand up. He has such a big load of debts to Hashem on his head that he he, he just cannot straighten up. Now when we recognize that in America... We're Dashin Vesava, 
that we're overfed and satiated with all good things, that we're living like kings. That means that we have to spend our days humbling ourselves before Hashem. Once you sit down to eat at a table and there's enough food for you to eat a few meals, or as soon as you step into your bathroom that has an indoor, that has indoor plumbing, then you have to be koireya ve'enuzoikif. You have to bend over in humility before your benefactor and never straighten up again. Why are we humble towards you, Hashem? Out of gratitude. Because of everything that you're giving us. We're indebted to you, Hashem, for everything. I'm bent over before you, Hashem, for my wrist, for my wristwatch. And I can't straighten up yet because I'm bent over in gratitude for my car and my fridge that's full of all types of foods and my telephone and my bathtub and my toilet and my carpet and my tiles and my chandelier. Even if we avoid sins and do good deeds, it's not enough. We have to learn the humility of having too much. We have to feel ourselves bent over before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now this is very serious because if people don't listen to these words now, someday it's going to be demanded of them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will say, why didn't you listen at that time when you heard about this obligation? Why didn't you humble yourselves for the piece of bread that I was giving you? Why didn't you bend over before me for the millions of other things that you're getting? For being able to live like a king. Always, always a person should feel humble to HaKadosh Baruch and express his humble gratitude always without end. There's nothing worse than to have plenty and instead of being humble, to be arrogant as a result. And that means that you have to fight back by filling your mind with thoughts of Hashem. Always, always you have to fill your mind with awareness of Hashem. Always thanking Him for the comforts and luxuries that you have. Because if a person is busy with this world and he doesn't feel humbled before the one who is giving him this world, then he has to know that he is destroying himself. He'll never be able to achieve success because his satiation with all of the affluence won't allow him to be humbled enough to be in, to be in Eved Hashem. And therefore, your only hope is to think about Hashem always. And the more you think about Him, the more your bakasha, Chatmenu b'sefer chayim toivim means something. Because you're not merely asking for chayim to go traveling and to eat bagels and to drive down Ocean Parkway in your new car. You're asking for chayim toivim. The good life. A life full of opportunities to think about Hashem. Appreciating and thanking Hashem for the good that He's bestowing upon us. That's the chayim toivim for a man who wants to make something from himself. He enjoys this world to no end while becoming more and more humbled before the one who gave him this world. And that's the greatest success of a person. To enjoy the gifts of Hashem in this world and using Olam Hazeh as a preparation for enjoying even more in the world to come. Have a wonderful Shabbos.